to a BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Oliver Nyers. Hello, Oliver. Hi, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. What's the name of the film that we've come together on these microphones and headphones to talk about? The name of the film is The Return. And you're the writer, director, editor, producer, T-boy? That's, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and this is, this is a debut feature for you, yeah? It is a date, my debut future, yes. And it's it's been enjoying a good a good twelve months of life since you you you, you was I guess was Raindance your world premiere. That's exactly right. Yeah, Raindance was our world premiere, and um, and then we had the good fortune of uh, getting nominated at the British Independent Film Awards just after that uh, for a Discovery Award, um, and uh, and since then have have had a have a, a good lifespan actually that continues. Now we're about to have our. US premiere over mm. in New York at Buffalo International Film Festival uh, next week, which um, I'm, I'm going over for. Excellent, that's exciting stuff. And you've 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 collected up a few a few laurels along your way. So, mm. winner of best noir thriller at Shanghai Genre Film Festival, mm-hmm. um, in competition at the Not- Nottingham International Film Festival. That's next month. Mm-hmm. Um, official selection Manhattan Independent Film Festival. Is that is that to come or has that been? That's coming up later okay. this year. Okay, and also Toronto Film Week as well. So is that to come as well? That's just been actually. That okay. was uh, last week. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So, so um, there's life in this film, and as as a lot of films do, there's there's a good is a good twelve month good twelve month window from when a sort of undistributed film enters the film festival world and obviously begins to garner attention. And it's it's sweet that you've managed to sort of pick up nominations and awards there here and there to help sort of bolster your position as the filmmaker. So do you want to tell people what a brief synopsis to what The Return is about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Return is about a small-time criminal who screws up a heist and then has to deal with the consequences uh, in a nutshell. But really, it's a little bit more than that. It's an investigation, for me anyway, into what it's like to be caught on the wrong side of a lie. And, and that's where the, the, the whole film takes its, uh, takes its cue from. Right. Well, if we start, if we start with the writing of this before we start, before we move on to the producing of it, um, mm. what 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 was it that that sort of drew you to that, and, and certainly what you just ended on there—that notion of of the lie. What was it drew you to this story, and sort of why this story? Uh, I mean, the, the simplest way to to boil that down is just fear. Actually, I I, I was. Uh... <clears throat> if someone wants to, if someone wants to screw you over, they can. It, it, it's a, it's something that's easy to do, and and that for me was a, a, a very frightening thought, and that's where a lot of the, the the concept came from for the film. I wanted to explore that sensation um, of um, of what it might, what that might mean for someone um, who's in a tight corner. Um, mm. But and then so as I was looking at the the, the nature of a secret. Um, which is, by definition, can only really, a secret can only really be understood in retrospect, because the minute I tell you a secret, um, you can only then look back uh, at, at all the events that have led up to it and then reassess them, and that's where the, the structure of the film um, uh, comes from. Yeah, yeah, because it's, um, a, a, a secret is quite possibly the, the sort of finest of MacGuffins, isn't it, really, I suppose? It's the unknown to then be known as, as, as we try and figure out what the hell is going on. And then eventually we work it, either we work it out as our hero develops understanding or, or we work it out just before and then we see the consequences thereafter. Absolutely. I mean, the, the way that we uh, treated the, the material... Um, for better or worse, was that we wanted to kind of stress test the audience um, and see how far we could push this this idea um, of, of someone being on the wrong side of a lie. And then uh, hopefully, or we hoped that that would build by the end um, towards a cascade moment at, uh, where the the catastrophic secret is revealed. And um, yeah, that was the thinking behind the film anyway. What, what for you was the um, sort of, biggest storytelling challenge trying to create this this kind of momentum behind the sort of secret and the lies 
and the conspiracy and so on and so forth. You, you touched on it just just then. Actually, um, there is a there is a phrase in in, in narrative um, uh, which is the known unknown, which is a good thing because you know that there's something you meant to know, but you don't, and so it creates mystery. Mm. What is bad is an unknown unknown uh, because you don't know what it is that you don't know what the mystery is. If that makes sense, um, I think in business they call it the black swan. Is that right? Is that yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the business theory is the unknown unknown is the black swan. They've nicknamed it. Go on, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I like that. I didn't. I didn't know that. I'll, I'll look that up. Um, uh, and so, our, my job really, when it, directing it um, through, was was to make sure that we came out on the wrong side of, uh, uh, sorry, the right side uh, of uh, audience navigating um, the, the the story. Disorientating is, is, is okay. Confusion is not. Uh, mm. And so that was our biggest challenge. And, uh, you know, looking at the, the, the film now, I think it has its successes and it also has its places where I, I think uh, we maybe pushed it too far. But, you know, that's, uh, that was important for us to, for, to, to test it out. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's a fi- it, it is a fine line, isn't it, between leading the audience on and then the audience not trusting that you're going to tell them anything at the same time. It's it's a hard it's a hard balance to make, isn't it? Sometimes when absolutely, especially when you're playing with the notion of of secrets and lies, it's sort of you can because if you go too early, you kind of you've, you've exploded all the drama, haven't you? Absolutely, and 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 like I say, you know, a, a lot of the 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 purpose behind the return was that. I wanted to push exactly what we're talking about now all the way to the nth degree. I, wa- mm. I wanted to push it. So um, that's, uh, I think that would provoke the strongest reaction in an audience. And really, that's what it's there for, to, to stimulate the audience. It's interesting you, 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 you describe the notion of, um, of wanting to explore the fear. Mm. Because, because your protagonist struck me as quite the fearless character at times you know so what yeah. was what was it you what was it you were what was it you were doing do you think in terms of that idea of the fear i mean obviously that's that's also a front because you're mm. living in a criminal world i mean you can't mm. look fearful well well the, the fear was 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 what fueled the concept uh, right. of the narrative the character of jack who who plays uh the small time criminal mm. um actually he has renewed um purpose in his life because he is returning uh, after a, a period of exile and is now determined not to to run again when things get tough and so so that fearlessness that you're talking about I think comes from there um, mm. yeah it's like it's like he knows now <laughs> which obviously we learn as you get as we get towards the end why why he knows what he knows as it were if I that's right if I understood right um, it's sort of he's he, he he once held no cards and on his return he holds the cards I suppose would be the way to describe him yeah that that's right and it's it's when you know we use a framing device in in throughout the return which is the investigator uh, a uh, correctional psychologist talking to Jack uh, mm. which is which is how we look back on the events leading up to Jack's arrest and it's it's from that point of view of him with the full knowledge of what's happening um, mm. that uh, that that we that we see that we see the film, uh, and then, of course, at the end, there is a, a, a twist that uh, uh, we won't... Uh, no, of course it. not. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm at pains not to be the spoiler man here. That's what I'm trying to... I'm trying to keep it ambiguous, but also help us talk, talk about the film. Um, <laughs> now, now, one of the things you've, you've... One of the choices you've taken, it, obviously, given what you've just said there about the frame devices, it's not... It's a non, it, it is a non-linear story, isn't it, that you're telling us? That's right. Or certainly, it follows a non-linear pattern. It is a, it's a linear story, but obviously, all stories are linear. But you t- you show us, you reveal stuff to us in a non-linear way. Um, was that always thus, or was that something that was born out of the rewriting of the screenplay? Oh, it was. It was always like that. Um, when I was describing earlier that I, I wanted to kind of stress test an audience with mm. this uh, idea of, of a secret and what it might mean for a um, for a character like that. Um, one of the conceits was that I wanted to um, create an exploded view 
you know, so so you take all the components surrounding this one event, this one secret, and you present it to someone, um, not in not in uh, chronological order or mm. A to Z order. You know, if you can picture, a, a, you, do you know what I mean by an exploded view? Um, the you know, kind of a if you imagine an IKEA. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. An IKEA manual. You've got all the parts all laid out in their separate bits. Um, and so when you look at it, it doesn't look like the whole thing. And so I wanted to kind of present that to the audience in, in that, as you say, linear, but non-linear way. Uh, and then by the end, they, they are able to construct, um, uh, the, the, the whole picture. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah, so you're literally slotting it together. You got it. Yeah. So all the, everything's there. Um, so, so one of the one of the interesting things for me about it was your was was the way that you where that Jack would be would be with everybody that's in the story. It's not like he's in lots of big scenes where there's lots of people. There's lots of sort of one on ones, you know. And, and obviously you set that you set that pattern with with the investigator sat at the table with him. Um, and it almost it almost feels like each one each each scene, as it were, is like its own its own little world. In a way, you know, obviously, and, and and now you've said that the idea about the exploded, the exploded diagram, as it were, um, <clears throat> it feels it feels like that that makes more sense to me now. Um, so, so was you conscious of that in terms of that? Because every and what I mean by this is, is it, 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 every every time it feels very intimate, but all the time we're getting a biggest picture at the same time. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So so. Were you conscious of how conscious were you of that that idea that obviously everything's like Jack Jack's investigating Jack's trying to sort things out Jack's explaining what went on, but equally we're getting we're all the time we're getting a bigger the audience is getting a bigger bigger picture of this horrible horrible this horrible horrible world this horrible horrible situation. Um, yeah, I mean, all all the time. I mean, it might it might help to explain some of the background to to to, to me writing this. You know, I wrote yeah, this, yeah, sure, this, sure, sure. Um, uh, and it, why why the background will become clear as I I'll come back and answer the question. But uh, I wrote this when I was twenty five and, and shot it uh, uh, when I was twenty six. And at this particular point, I I knew that no one was going to be giving me any money anytime soon to make a feature. And mm. so, with that in mind, I I also so knew that I I wanted I would have to make this as um, achievable as possible in terms of budget when I was writing, right. but I didn't want that to limit the uh, the scope uh, of the narrative or the movie. Uh, so what you're describing in terms of the uh, narrative units, just just these scenes which are one on ones and, mm. and and often domestic uh, scenes. Uh, I wanted I wanted to find a way that, that they could be more than the sum of their parts, and so with all the structural conceits that I've described before, mm. um, with all that in mind, uh, I was trying to find a way so that that the act we had a you know an increasing interest and stake uh, in the story. But uh, did we need car chases? No. Did we need explosions? No. Um, and so. So a lot of it was born out of that limitation, um, and uh, yeah. So if, if you if you see what I'm, I'm getting at, so no, we, no, no, yeah, no, no, definitely because I think because w- w- the first time we see uh, Robert Goodman's character outside of the snooker hall, it's quite a surprise because mm-hmm. you've established a pattern that this man is here and this is where we go to him. So you know that the story's mo- you know there's momentum happening at this point because he's been you know fruit. I mean. This is all out of context for someone listening, but but mm. you, I presume obviously you all know what I mean is that that um, for for a while he's this is this character and like you say we visit him, different people go to speak to him and it's always in the snooker hall and then there's a I can't remember what the scene exactly is but he's it, late on he's somewhere else and suddenly we're like oh okay God things are moving now where where are we but like you say it isn't it isn't the big gesture it's just simply the difference that makes that gives you the impact. That's an interesting observation, actually. I I, um, I see what you mean, and I, I think actually one way to also look at that is that another one of the things that we were trying to do with the return, which has, as I'm, as I'm sure you can tell by watching it or even by just looking at the artwork, but this is a film noir. This is also very close in terms of tropes to gangster movie, mm. but, but I do not see it as a gangster movie. The character you're talking about with Robert Goodman, fantastic uh, man and, and an actor who plays a character called Duke, he he is a fence, 
um, you know, buying and selling stolen goods and does have uh, a gangster-ish demeanour. But, mm. but what one thing we were trying to do was that, or just a little nudge and update um, elements of, of that, uh, of those tropes. So we have him in the snooker hall there, which is a textbook gangster kind of setting. Yeah. And then when you walk him outside, like you're describing and take him home just to a normal home, we're doing something hopefully to the audience, which is a little, a little fresher. Um, and, and maybe, maybe get some thinking, huh, this is going in a different direction to where I thought. I love, I love, I love. I mean, I love the first time that Jack, Jack sort of comes, or we see the first time we see Jack sort of speak to him, mm. and obviously Duke's suspicious being of that world, and I think he's. I mean, it's again, it's that kind of subverting of expectation. It's sort of like, you know, why, why, why have you come to see me, so to speak? I think it's, the conversation mm. goes along the lines of, and he just says, I think he says something like, I, I got told you pay over the odds or something like that. Is that right? If that, I remember that right, I, I, I was I was told you overpaid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought that's such a nice way of introducing a bad guy, you know, <laughs> or, yeah. or, or is that? Yeah, you're you're. It's almost like damning him with faint praise, isn't it? It's like you're the daft one. There's other fences in town, but you're the one that will pay more than everybody else. And or or the flip side of reading that is your brand value is really good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> As a fence. <laughs> you know, and we, we, uh, from a writer's point of view, I was always trying to find uh, a, a way of, you know, there at that particular junction in their relationship, uh, you know, it, it's very easy to, um, you know, uh, fall, fall victim to the slightly more broader cliche kind of interaction. And I'm, don't get me wrong, there is breadth in some of these interactions. I'm not saying that the return is is uh, completely devoid of that but but having that kind of response i think was a was, in some of those um scenes was a nice way to to kind of get that character coming across um and maybe you know maybe that's the way that uh, and certainly the way i see it that jack deals with his nerves is to be a little bit um a little bit on the nose um uh, with uh, with his uh dialogue well no I, I never saw it as being on the nose it's more it was more the fact that it, if if you're up front in a world where everyone's speaking in subtext, because obviously Duke isn't up front. Duke's immediately on the back foot, isn't he, when when he's confronted with the notion... Because obviously he's expecting Jack to play a tight hand, isn't he? He's met, the expectation in that in that one-on-one one one is guarded versus guarded. So when guarded is met with, well, I'm meant to come and see you, aren't I? It's like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Your rea Duke's reaction isn't, Oh my God! Well, I, okay, because it's hard to, and and I, and I think that must that must have been fun for you writing. You know, the idea of because, like, obviously, by the definition of what 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 a criminal is, mm. um, they spend their life playing a role, which is trying to pretend that they're not criminals. So they're not. It, it's nice to it's nice to hear uh, your thoughts on that particular moment because as as I now remember it, of course, it's you know this is their first interaction, Duke and Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. High, high suspicion all round, and you've got Jack who has never met Duke before trying to flog him some stolen gear, and you know how do you get through that? Because if you don't get through that with the audience, they're not going to buy the fact that Duke is going to do business with him. But mm. like you say, uh, Jack disarms him in 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 that moment, and. Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah. I've, I've forgotten that, but because uh, yeah. usually, the, usually the route is, and, I, and I'm doing this on a cinematic sense, not in the sense that I've been, you know, mixing it with the criminals. Um, <laughs> is is that you usually say, "Oh, Oliver sent me. He said you're a good man." That would be the trope. Not yeah. not just sim not not the kind of disarming thing, but also I just like I just I, I always like this about about criminal characters is that is that the um, they try and play the innocent, or they try and play they're not even in the game <laughs> until they can establish that you're in the game too. And when two people are trying to establish they're not in the game, while at the same time trying to form a business relationship, it's kind of like, it's the opposite of all other business transactions. Because if I came to you with, with, a, with an investment proposition, you'd want to know what it is. And, yeah. and, and, I'd, go to, and I'd only go to you because I knew you had money to invest in the proposition, whereas you hear around the town that Duke will fence gear. So you've got to walk into an arena that is, that is not comfortable and is not, that the rules aren't, aren't plain and simple. And the outcome might well be he doesn't want to deal, but obviously that's, 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 that's another side of it. So, so for you, for you um, 
a big decision you've clearly made, and you've intimated about the, about the key, about making it making it producible for yourself, is that you've shot this monochrome. That's right. Yeah. So artistically speaking, what what for you? I mean, am, am, am I right to assume that is to do with production values, or is that is that a straight artistic decision? Oh, it's um, it's very much uh, a, a lot of uh, elements. But uh, I mean, the first thing to understand is that we. We shot on 35mm, um, okay. so, uh, and actually, for those who are interested, we originated in colour, 35mm, and then um, that allowed us to use the RGB colour handles to grade into monochrome. Okay. Uh, it gives you a lot of control and, and adds dimension for anyone who's interested. Um, so we originated on 35mm. That was our f- the biggest choice we had to make between myself and Carl Burke, who's the director of photography. Mm. Um uh, once we'd made that decision, um, and that that gave us a, a kind of an atmosphere uh, and an aesthetic which we knew would transport the audience and get them to a place um, uh, that that, uh, that we knew we could tell a kind of a heightened, you know, story structure with uh, with that kind of look. Um, the black and white uh, then was, you know, film noir is a very well-known kind of mode, uh, famously black and white, uh, of course, mm. hence the, uh, uh, well, uh, the, the name as well. But um, we, uh, 50% of, of, of the reason we, we shot black and white, uh, let's say, was that, you know, you don't have to paint walls when you go to a location. We did not have time mm. to... Um, kind of phone up five different location options and say, hi there, what colour your walls? We need to set design it. Um, that was never on the cards. Our pre-production team was was three people, myself included. And so uh, so those, those were the, all the things feeding into that decision. Um, mm. but, 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 but chiefly, um, you know, it, it was the fact that it, it gave us a an automatic identity as a film. It gave us the world and it gave us um, the mood. Um, the, the key thing, uh, or the, the way that I saw it as well at that time, um, was that, you know, what are you trying to do with a, with a movie? Uh, it's trying to excite someone, transport them and make it entertaining for them, but also maybe present them with another world. And we certainly didn't have the budget to build another world, if you, if you catch my drift. We couldn't, of course, of course, we couldn't yeah. pay for loads of different locations or, or beautiful set work and all that kind of thing. Um, but we could transport them by making what was around us very familiar, the other. And, and I have to say, black and white for me was as, was, was as good as, uh, as, as any uh, in achieving that. Well, no, I mean, and, and, there's, and there's certainly no shame in it. It's just, it's just, it's, um, it's a really powerful, really powerful tool. And I'm just always interested in, mm. in, in, in the choices because obviously people make, people shoot films where they suck all the colour out and it's almost like everything's Air Force Blue. So it might as well be monochrome. And that's a very, <laughs> you know, artistic decision. So it's, it's, I guess because we're, we're sort of, um, we're straddling, um, I guess we, we, we live in a time now where we're straddling a world where maybe black and white now is seen as sort of from a time. Yeah, but actually, in 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 a world of in a world of lots of content, suddenly something that's in that's, it's in, that's shot with an interesting eye and monochrome becomes becomes something that that, that can hold the attention um, much yeah, better. We, we, in our first me, you know meeting with Carl, I, I'd always seen this this script and I'd been writing it for you know eight months before we got round to going to pre production. Yeah. It was in my mind black and white, the material, the kind of the neo noir feel of it. Um and in terms of the way that we were gonna shoot it, uh and and the way that I wanted to work with Carl and the actors, I just I yeah, we just we even just the, the, that first meeting we had, it was just very obvious it was going to be black and white. So how does that conversation go? And and, and just just because I'm not I mean I've I interviewed um Larry Smith for the podcast recently who's oh. so, it was obviously uh, Kubrick's DOP on um, Eyes Wide Shut, mm. uh, amongst other things. I mean, I was excited to have him because of Only God Forgives, but but, but obviously um, Eyes Wide That's... Shut is a phenomenal piece of work as well. Um, but how, what, in, in a world that is colour, and in, in a predominant world where things are seen in colour, how do you as a director communicate with, with your DOP? To, to, to present, to create a vision that's in monochrome? 
Well, I, Carl, Carl Burke is someone who's this director of photography. Um, I, I've worked with him almost exclusively um, okay. for some years. Um, and I trust him Im implicitly. So our, the way that we communicate on set and, and what we want to get out of a, a take or a scene um, is is very well understood between us after, uh, you know, during pre-production or even in, during rehearsals. So that's the first thing um, that... that uh, uh, first way to answer that question. Uh, the other way, um, you know, the when when we shot the return, I had a, a three and a half inch monitor that was a a, a low res, um, didn't even have playback. So a lot of the times, I was just trusting the the, the movement of the camera that that uh, or the, the the placement of the camera that Carl had suggested and, and we'd worked towards, and then made sure that you know i had i was what keeping an eye on the on the performances um so so i suppose trust is one of the things i mean uh, fairly old school there as well i think that kind of approach you're you're it, you're, you're you're welcoming this the the, the 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 surprise of the results as well aren't you if you can watch the performance <laughs> absolutely um and and there's two things to say there firstly i I, I in some ways Carl would disagree with this because I think uh, you know there's there's many things that can go wrong uh, you know when shooting 35 mil but I was never in any doubt uh, that that we would that we would get it because everyone raised their game um, knowing that when we said uh, action that we meant action and and we shot a, a very low ratio on this four to one I think it was in the end or just above which is only twenty four thousand feet of film um, uh, so we we were we were very much focused in and and concentrating on on the camera and the actors all the time uh so uh although some people might describe it as old school it certainly suited the way that that i work as a director and and, and i think i hope supported the atmosphere um that was act actor concentric oh, oh no, no for sure for sure i mean i think i think i think old school in the way that that you know when people shot on film they didn't see the results until they got the dailies did they you know in many That's right. and we uh, we we had we had weeklies um uh, which was uh, which was a, a, a an interesting uh, way to do it but we didn't have the budget to do anything else so we would mm. shoot the whole week and then we would know the results on the Saturday morning. <laughs> Brilliant. And that's, that's all I mean. I don't, I mean, I think, I think it's, I think it, it, it testament to your relationship with Carl as much as anything else. But then, then you as the director, like you say, are able to focus on, on the performances, which at the end of the day is, is the bit you can direct, isn't it? At that point, once the camera's moving around and, and you're rolling, that's the bit where you can sit, you, you can have an influence. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't be forgotten as well, you know, there's a lot of rehearsal, I know exactly what's going through uh, into that camera when, you know, when we mm. decide on a, uh, or Carl decides on a lens and, and we see the action, I, I know what that movement um, and that particular, you know, uh, beat uh, or, or, uh, or, uh, or cue is, go is going to achieve because it was pre-planned, we, we did our homework and that's mm. something that came up over and over again in a production that was so low on budget and so limited in resources it was all homework based actually i would i would argue Stuart, that on the day uh during the actual shoot apart from the, the obvious stamina you know challenges which yeah, shoots yeah, yeah. Uh, uh bring uh it was probably the easiest part of it um <laughs> is that in hindsight or are you are you getting, are you getting nostalgic about it no, absolutely not. <laughs> Actually, you should. It's funny you should say that because a lot of a lot of people like uh, I, I've I've seen and heard you know love to to talk about the production challenge, how challenging it was, how the conditions on set were impossible, <clears throat> and how how risky uh, their decisions were, and why film was was such a risk for them, but they did it because you know, and and that's fine. But for for us, we 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 did our, we did our homework, and I think our low ratio. You know, uh, uh, points to the fact that that we we were making decisions and sticking to them. Um, so no, it's not me being nostalgic. I just don't want to lie and pretend that we're super uh, risk taking, bold, bold school kind of filmmakers because <laughs> we're not. We had it worked out. <laughs> but 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 in that sense though, that that, that that's, that's shrewd shrewd filmmaking. I mean, I mean, one of the things that most people who've come on the podcast tell me is 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 the I wish I'd had more time to do the stuff that cost me nothing. You know, the pre-production side of things, the, the rehearsal side of things, if you can make time for those, then in terms of the money shot, which obviously is for you is when the camera's rolling, 
you're always saving money, even though it might feel like you're taking up time. Ultimately, you're saving you're saving effort because if everybody knows what they're meant to do, admittedly, I guess you guess you lose you might you might lose some spontaneity. I guess is the gamble. Well, you, well, potentially, and, and it yeah. that depends on what kind of director you are. I mean, I just yeah. to bring you back to that point about, you know, you wish I had more time. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you did as well. Like, I'm not saying that you, do, you wouldn't want more time. No, but it, I mean, it's, you know, 35 mil, I maintain, was cheaper than digital for us because of the focus it brought to pre-production and to the activity of cast and crew on set. Um, don't get me wrong. You know, if uh, you know, with more money, space, and time, it'd be, it'd be great to do, to do to take more angles and uh, and, and have a look around uh, at options, uh, and that's a it's a great luxury. But um, in the mode we were in, which you know, the return is a is a heightened thriller with with with, with melodrama. We knew what we were going for. Um, mm. uh, it was not an improvise based uh, kind of narrative and in that if it was improvised you know we wouldn't we, we couldn't shoot 35 mil but for the kind of pro- we knew the kind of production we were mm. we, we were um so it was cheaper in the end for us i i i, I no it's good you preempted a question i was thinking you know most people would would think you know most people think in terms of digital as being the thing that's kind of released us all to be able to, for anyone to make movies so the notion of someone talking about working to a strict budget and then choosing to shoot on 35 mil would seem counterintuitive, but I, I completely understand what you mean, that yeah. actually it forced you to look at what you need to do because film isn't ephemeral, is it? Film is, film is physical. You've got film, it. Film, 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 like you say, you can see how much feet you're using. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's not, um, you know, it, it's, it's I, I love digital as well. Um, it's just building up to this and my point on, you know, that I knew that the minute we had a take in the can, mm. that the, the distance between there through the lab and to the edit, the atmosphere was already there. We, did, we weren't going to have to play around and we weren't, weren't going to have to rescue it in a grade. I knew that the entire weight and feel of our movie was, was there on that, in that moment where we said cuts and, and 30, that's what 35 mil, um, offered us. And we'd also, we'd, we'd, we'd done the maths, you know, I, I knew, I knew the ratio we, we were going to have time for this four to one. Uh, so we multiplied the stock, realized we could afford it. And, and there it is. If you are a slightly, if you like to run the camera, then it's, it's not the option. But, um, I think for a lot, there is a lot of, there are a lot of filmmakers out there who, who, who can and do shoot, shoot film because it suits uh, the stories that, the stories they're telling in the way they want to tell them. I'm hearing it more and more, to be honest with you. It's not, it's not unusual. It's just, it's nice mm. to hear what, what, what you describe it in such an, an enthusiastic way because we're not, we, we, we get the headlines, which is sort of, you know, Tarantino talking about his 70 mil shoots and all that kind of stuff. And, ev- and everyone thinks, oh, well, you know, when I get to that world, I can then shoot on film and be, you know, be pure about it, whatever. But, but actually, it's not like that, is it? And I think that's, that's what's, what's good to hear. So when, 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 you was, when you was looking at this, I mean, actually, two questions. How, as the writer and director, and clearly Brackett's producer, mm. do, do you separate the kind of invention of what you're trying to write over the eight months and the production values you're going to present yourself with by what's on the page. Sorry, the production values... As in, as in what, you need to, what you need to put on camera. So, you know, the, the joke always is the screenwriter can, can put 50, 50 elephants run over the hill and then the producer's got to find 50 elephants, you know, and all you've written is one sentence. <clears throat> so from your what? point of view, when you were writing The Return, what, what, how do you balance the idea of being inventive and imaginative with what you know you can produce, is what I mean. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, as I, I think I've kind of gone over a little bit or touched on, is that, you know, it was a, it was a marriage situation where uh, whilst I, I would... Uh, the, the, the writing side of it might expand a little bit, um, when we entered... So we, we entered into a two-month uh, pre-production period um, in, in, in... And from that point on... Uh, we I we went through a process of accelerated uh, drafting with the with the script. So as reality struck, and I realised I couldn't have my helicopter chase sequence, um, <laughs> um, 
we would, I, I would make sure, well, we'd look at the script, we'd sit around and, um, our production designer and, and, uh, the team, we, uh, they would say, look, this isn't going to be feasible. And we would, uh, I would, I'd amend it. Um, it was, it was as simple as that. Um, I, I have no, I'm not a, um, you know, I, I know the concept at the heart of the, the film and I know the effect I want to get across with it, you know, certainly from a director's point of view. And mm. that, that is the captain of the ship. Um, whether I like a scene or not is, is by the by. No, no, I mean, it reminds me of, um, I remember listening to Charlie Brooker talk about writing Dead Set and he, and, and he, got, he got asked, why does the Range Rover have to blow up? And, and he said, well, because then they can't drive on any further. And they went, so we can just have the Range Rover break down, can't we? <laughs> and he went, well, I suppose so, yeah. He goes, well, that'll save us a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> you, know, you don't lose any of the spirit of the story. Yeah. <laughs> the, dra- the drama's still the same. Well, you know, Stuart, you've, you've hit on something um, that, that I've, I've talked about before. When when talking about low budget or, or indie filmmaking, mm. you, you, do, you do not need, even though it would be nice, but you do not need a lot of money for the spirit of the story. You can still achieve... Mm. Um, a, I would say, a movie experience that is worth paying money for, um, with through through the that idea, you can mm. have them break down. Look, explosions are great, and let's let's have them. I'm not against them, but uh, but yes, you, that that was actually I couldn't put it better myself. That's basically what we applied to, um, uh, writing the return was, you know, what would work in the spirit of it, what gets us there narratively, what, mm. you know, and and you you don't really come out of it any poorer. Um, no, 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 and I think I think we as an audience, I mean, it's 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 counterintuitive when obviously we're trying to make things because we want to we want to show everything, don't we? So people are clear, but but often our imagination is what is what gets sparked by wh- when we're watching a film, and and I'm thinking particularly of uh, and it's a particularly nasty scene in the film in the toilet. Mm. Now, while while it is a nasty, I'd say nasty in inverted commas. It's not a graphic scene, but no. obviously my imagination can run wild with what with what you show us in terms of what's in camera. Yeah, um, and I think that's that's the really neat thing about it. And and, and you know, thinking of where you, you'll take your lead from if you're if you're looking back at at great noir thrillers of of, of the day, they they were ham, they were hamstrung by those rules because people wouldn't accept it on screen, so they had to work around it for for taste reasons. Whereas you know, if, if if budget reasons means you can't show what's graphically being what's happening to somebody, but actually the performance of um, of Sam Tom Donnelly mm-hmm. in that moment is is all you need to see. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, I mean, was that is that is that a good? Would you, would you say that's a fair example of what of what we're talking about? It, it's it's a great example of it, and, and it's a great it's it's very representative of 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 how we we approached. The, the return and then kind of executed it on the day. Uh, if, if you remember it, uh, it, it's done in a one, uh, mm. with a car yeah. moving in. And, and, you know, that's for many reasons. It, it, it builds, it builds, but it's also economy. You know, we, we would then, we rehearsed that move several times, but then when you, you're turning over and you get it, that's one take and, and, and you're on. So, you know, that to anyone, just to tie in the 35 mil into your point, uh, to, to which I agree, agree with, you know, 35 mil, that whole scene may be, you know, probably about 80, well, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, 80 seconds, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe a bit less. Uh, it's, you know, but, but you get, uh, like you say, hopefully something that's a bit harrowing and, and, and does pull at the, uh, you know, pull at the, the audience's, uh, you know. Uh, well, that's th- there's the thing. I mean, I think, it, I think it's, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on this from a cineast point of view, but it sort of makes me think of sort of formalist cinema, you know, in the sense of if you frame something and make me look at it for a sustained period of time, I'm going to start looking for what you're going to make me look at. So if you're making me look at the intensity in someone's face while they're suffering, then I'm going to feel uncomfortable in the end if you don't, if you don't make it stop. Mm. And obviously that's, the, that's what you want to impart on us. If the camera had started shaking around and blah, blah, I'd, I'd, I'd have lost that moment. Oh, I see, yes. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know what I mean? It's, sort of, it's very much like the frame is where I'm meant to be looking and you make me look at it. <laughs> yeah. Which I know sounds straightforward and bloody obvious, but, but, but so, so with, with, with digital cameras, there's a tendency to want to want to chop and paste it and just have bits and bats going on because it's a fight. When mm. in reality, yeah. you know, we've all, I mean, we're not all, but, you know, we've been in situations where 
it's not been pleasant and it's never felt like a camera thrown down the stairs. It's usually felt like really sort of eye to eye, you know, somebody gripping you, somebody shouting, somebody doing, you know, whatever makes it frightening. And so to hold on the fear and the, and the pain, I think is a, was, a, was a clever move from your point of view. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> so when you when you was looking when you were looking at stuff on the page going into production, what 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 was your what did you see as the biggest challenge for the shoot for you? What 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 in terms of it, or or was part of the design solving those problems as you went? So for me, as a, as a producer or a director. Well, you, you, I mean, you can. T- uh, I guess as a director first, because I guess that's where you're you're trying to you're trying to convey the vision. The producers, of, the producer heads, obviously going, we can't do it. Whereas, you know, I, I was having this conversation with a, with a DLP the other day, where it's it's the sense of when somebody says, "Can we do this?" and your instinct goes, "Well, actually, no." But if that's your vision, we've got to work out a way of doing it. So you, as a director, are obviously trying to push what you can achieve, aren't you? As opposed to I mean, there's always, there's always, um, what do you call it? There's always um, compromise. That, that, that goes without saying. But, but where, where was you able to not compromise and get exactly get what you wanted, but without having obviously to, to spend the, the, the lottery win on? I, yeah, I see. I mean, I think um, th- th- this answer's going to sound like, uh, a, a, you know, avoiding the answer, but really my whole approach to it was... I, I know how the, I know how the scene's operating, and I know what what the subtext is and what mm. the characters are after. Yeah. And you could, no, no matter what what is it, you know, uh, whatever the location's going to throw up in terms of the challenge, or whether we need to swing that to to um, to move to a scene there to X Y Z location, I knew that we were going to be able to construct the narrative out of it. Mm. Um, so it was. I, I suppose my approach was was purely open minded. Um, it really was. I in in when you got two months pre production, you, you, you're sitting with twenty four thousand feet of thirty five mil in the office and two other people working on it. There's no room to try and luxuriate in. Well, I've got this, you know, this um, this particular moment I really must have. Uh, it goes very quickly because my priority was getting there on the day with the actors who are up on screen. You know, my my grand moment that I, I might have planned or not uh, is all by the by. That The most important thing is that those actors are coming across um, as the characters believably and that the, 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 you know, that they're propelling the story across for the audience. And, and really, that's all I had in mind. Um, so it, I'm sorry that's not a great answer, but I, there was just no tension there between, uh, between the, the, the creative vision and, and, and reality. It just, they, they, they had to be and were the same thing. No, that's a, that is a great answer in it itself. I wouldn't, there wasn't, there wasn't, there isn't this idea that you, that you, that you hid something from someone or you snuck it in like contraband. Um, <laughs> um, it's, it, he's, he, Jack, Jack, the character Jack is returning to, to London. Um, I mean, is, 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 are you shoot, did you shoot on location in London or are you pretending places are London? It's, it's all London, yeah. Okay, so, so, uh, the, 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 we don't want to qualify that is, how, how did you find shooting on location in London? Um, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Just, just fine. It was. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of pulling my, my mind back to it. It was. Uh, we had, we put our most challenging day first, and that involved a, a five thirty a.m. at a cafe in South London, uh, right. in Battersea, and that same day we had to move up to. It was um, North East London for the uh, workshop scene. And so that was our one unit move that we had. Okay. Um, which is a, a very stupid idea for anyone with not very many resources. But we put it there. We got through it. We, we weren't overambitious. And from that point on, we were moving. We then were moving maybe... We had like a six-day stretch, and then we were moving maybe every two days um, to new locations to try and achieve as much uh, texture and production value as possible for for the viewer. Um, again, silly idea if you've got not much money, but a lot of the places we shot in, I, I knew them well and locally. Uh, and and we just, uh, for instance, that cafe I mentioned where we shot on on that first day on the Monday, mm. 
mm-hmm. um, it's a cafe I used to go to all the time. And I said, guys, is there any way that you, if, if you open up at five for us, I, I promise you, uh, you, you will have guaranteed 35 people uh, or 30 people, who how many it was, having breakfast here. We will get out of your hair by 6.30 a.m. And they said, yes, so we've got a location, inverted commas, for free. And everyone had a nice big breakfast. So um, uh, I suppose what I'm getting to and the reason why shooting on location was okay was that we made sure that we, we built nice relationships with the, the locations we were trying to go to. And we've also stitched that into our budget constraints and just said, you know, if we eat there or if we come in the lunch hour or I promise you we'll only spend two hours um, mm. there. I, you know, I think of the snook all stuff. All of those scenes uh, would, were done in under – let me get this right. I, I don't want to exaggerate, but uh, it was two half days. Good Lord. Um, half days. So, you know, we were arriving at mm. four. Uh, and getting out of their hair by 12. Um, and you're looking at one of the scenes, I won't reveal who's in it because it, it, it would give something, give a twist away, but one of the scenes, which I know, Stuart, you'll know, between Duke and someone else, um, quite a long scene, about six minutes long and, and with quite a bit of camera movement in it yeah. uh, and blocking, you know, and th- those were done in one take, um, uh, uh, which was, again, I suppose what I'm, constantly trying to stitch into these answers is that it all fed in it was all a kind of a fed into each other it was all a, a whole we tried to make sure that the way we were approaching shooting the movie supported securing the location supported the feeding of the crew and, and and the rest of it so that's why that's why it wasn't too bad shooting around london uh we we, we knew the kind of production we were you know we, we um uh, we, we we had we had realistic expectations no, I think, I think that's. I think what you t- what you're describing is is something that people should try and try and imagine when they're trying to shoot films. Is is certainly when they're shooting on a, on on a, on a budget that isn't going to isn't going to go forever. Um, mm. I know. I know from I know from listening to. I mean, not not people have been on the podcast, but for example, um, Jeremy Solnier when he did um, he did Blue Ruin, he just went back to where he lived. You know, he he was working in New York and he went back to Virginia where he lived. And basically, when I can shoot in that house, I can shoot in that factory, I can shoot in this because I know the people. And it's that I, you know, it's like a, a slightly bigger version, but the same logic as you're applying. If you if you know people at a cafe and you say, "Look, do this favor, and I'll do that favor," absolutely, you've got you, you you've. It's just the same as saying it's seven hundred pound for half a day shoot. It's the, yeah. it's, it's the same negotiation because because you know people that do have budget, you know, the location managers going to go to 12 cafes, <laughs> you know, and then still go, we're going to have to go to Nottingham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Just, yeah. There's no guarantees having a budget. Yeah, um, so so I, think it's, I think it's really useful to, 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 to sort of, to understand those relationships are important, but also understand that pragmatism is equally as important to success. It, it was, and that's why, you know, for instance, our third AD was, was my, was my youngest brother, Will. Mm. He was 19 at the time, and, uh, but, but, and, and so, you know, when we first pitched this to the, to the first AD, he was a bit, you know, ruffled by this, uh, just momentarily, a great, great first AD, I'm not, nothing against him, but he was, he was unsure about it, and I said, well, you, you've got to trust me on this, because I know Will, and Will knows a lot of the crew, uh, well. That will be, a, a massive capital gain as the four weeks go on because he has a car, he knows London, he knows the places we're shooting. He also knows exactly what coffee Carl likes and all these little, all these little <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all these little things will, will get us through it. And, and it, 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 it was part of being realistic about it. So like you say, yes, those, those personal connections or those, those, um, not shortcuts, but, you know, uh, should the shorthand, that should, that's what I should say. The shorthand, if you can achieve that in any way, it's, it's, uh, huge gains. Yeah. Well, well they, they don't come for free in reality, do they? Because they took time to, 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 to realize, but then to take advantage of them is where their value becomes apparent, you know. So I think that's, that's, that, that's the message there for me. Sorry, the, the value of that, well, the, the, your br- your brother knowing things okay. and, and knowing how to get about is takes as took him years to get to there, you know. But but on your shoot, it becomes invaluable because he can just get on with it, and it's your and and the shorthand between you and him becomes also something that that nobody else could come in and replace. It's sort of you know once it gets going, 
the, val- yeah. the value becomes apparent, you know. Yeah, oh, absolutely, that's, yes. that's all I mean. It's not, nothing no, more complicated than that. That's completely right. But I, I think um, the, the, the point I was trying to build a, a little bit there was was that it's about when you've got no no uh, money or time, is reimagining how you might approach, uh, you know, no shooting it. And, and you know, Will at 19 with not not much, uh, to use him as an example, uh, hi, Will, if you're listening, um, you know, um, uh <laughs> Uh, to use an example, he uh, didn't have that much experience at the time, but you know, it, it seemed it was the most obvious and actually the most beneficial choice for, for our production. Whereas, you know, conventionally, like you say, if you try and send out location managers to cafes, it's going to cost you a lot. But whereas, if you use the personal kind of what's staring you right in the face, um, it often can, you know, reap, reap the rewards. Indeed, indeed. Now, we, we started off by telling everyone sort of where it had been and where it was going in terms of showing and obviously you're heading across the pond with it very soon. Um, so what, what's, what's happening with the return sort of next for you in terms of once you've got this sort of American premiere out the way? Are you, are you in the process of, of distribution and sales? With this, are you self-distributing? Have you got people interested? Is there something you can talk about? Um, our, our approach has, has remained uh, the same even from pre-production through to the day we're talking now, which is um, it block by block. Uh, so because we haven't got uh, much money or resources, we take it as it comes. So, for instance, when we got nominated for that Best UK Feature at Raindance, yeah. we pulled our assets and we looked at a, at a six-month view there and focused strongly on that and likewise with Biffers. And, and it's the same case now. We are hungry and focused on these festivals who are giving us the time of day and as that scope widens so do the, the so do the length of the conversations we're having with distributors so so that's as much as i'll say at the moment but we uh no that's cool that's cool i mean it's 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 a lesson to a lot of people that you know there's no there's no magic bullet and there's no there's no shortcut but but i'm guessing a growing reputation for a movie like yours is is an is increases opportunity to talk to people about your movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and uh, and you know we'll we'll see how we go. Well, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Well, look, um, is, is there any, is is there, is there any new projects you want to you want to tell us about that you that you that, that, that you think deserve a bit of air at the moment that you can say. There, there, there is indeed a, a thriller uh, which I which has been written and I, and I have have here um sitting in front of me actually um <laughs> and uh and like i say yeah we are we are taking a serious look at it good 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 well look, thank you very much for uh, giving us your time on the podcast not at all Stuart. it's a pleasure talking to you if you don't already subscribe to britflix just sign up for free at itunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you.